0: podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. How is everyone? Good. That would be a response I would expect after a great time of worship like we just had. Amen? Yeah. As Kenny mentioned, we've been going through the book of James, and James has encouraged us. To devote ourselves completely to God, relinquishing control over to him, walking humbly and faithfully for our Lord, and as we fellowship with God, we stay in his word, obey his commands, and display his character. And when that's going on in our lives, interestingly, something quite amazing begins to happen. We begin to say things that God would say. (laughs) We begin to do things that God would do. We forgive. We share. We serve. We love. We begin to see things from a heavenly perspective through a word view rather than a world view, right? And lo and behold... In the process of all that, eventually we begin to reflect an image. The image of our God's Son. Yeah? Isn't that the idea? I think that's the goal. (laughs) So far in this chapter, and we're in chapter 4, and we'll be picking it up at verse 11. James has dealt with the sins of envy. He's dealt with the sins of want or lust, if you will, fighting and quarreling and friendship with the world, which he has described as a spiritual adultery. These sins are obvious to most of us. I think we were on to that. We get that. But however, there's also this thing about sin that can often Be more subtle than most of us realize. So James is now going to talk about two things. Most of us do without even realizing how very serious they are with regards to being sinful. And we're all guilty of it. Every day. And it's going to be probably for most of us more than we would care to admit. Care to admit. Now, as we know, God hates all sin, right? But there are a few sins that are constantly and strongly condemned in Scripture from beginning to end. What are they? We're going to be looking at them this morning, speaking against and judging others. That's what we're talking about. These are the sins that God's Word just seems to never let up on, along with their counterparts, things like condemning and criticizing and gossiping. I have titled this message, and typically I don't tell you what the title is, but I'm going to tell you today because it plays in so much to what we're going to be talking about. title of today's message, Don't Play God. And you're thinking, well, I don't do that. Yeah, you do. (laughs) And we're going to see, don't play God. This game playing happens, here we go, first of all, when we exalt ourselves over someone else. You're better than them. You're more superior than they are. Evidence by the things that you say, also evidence, as we've already seen, by our fighting and our quarreling and are speaking evil about one another, saying stuff we shouldn't be saying. You see, the objective of playing God in the lives of others is to imagine oneself better, as I've already said, or superior to others, and then we do that by putting them down in various ways. The one who takes on God's role becomes, or so they think, qualified to be a critic, and therefore a judge. And so in verses 11 and 12, James highlights, first of all, the danger of slander, okay? Let's look at those two verses. Follow with me. um, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister... So already we're we're realizing he's he's talking about the church, the believers, the community of faith. We who are supposed to be family. We who are supposed to be united in the bond of love by the Spirit of God, right? He says, if we speak against a brother or sister or judges them, and now check this out, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Two simple rules of playing the God game. Are found right here in these two verses. The first is to speak against a brother or sister in Christ's slander is a critical is critical speech intended by us when we're doing it to fuel others' ill feelings against the person who's being criticized. Our purpose in doing that is to give them a whole lot more information to make them feel even more bad (laughs) about them, Um, to have, you know, carry ill feelings about them. And, of course, that's our goal when we're doing that sort of thing. For Christians to speak against other believers becomes a serious contradiction, people, in whom we are supposed to be and who we are supposed to represent, major contradiction from that which is to bind us together. James also brings up the bad habit of judging one another. These two go hand in hand, I want you to see, speaking against a sister and judging her, slandering a brother and condemning him. The only condemning, if there's going to be any, that should be happening is what the Bible repeatedly condemns. Are you with me? If there's going to be any condemning, it should only be that which the Bible condemns. Anything condemning coming out of our mouths needs to be in concert with God's word. Well, what does God's word condemn? And then that's what I will, but I'm not going to, I can't. God says, don't do it. Don't play God in putting down your brother and your sister. And he has these over, he said, who do you think you are? It's like, it's crazy, right? What did Jesus tell us? He said, do not judge so that you Will not be judged. We need to note the context that he makes that statement, and it's found in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus spoke of a Pharisaical, legalistic ju- judgmentalism with one of these more righteous than thou kind of attitude. He said a few verses later in that Matthew 7 chapter, How can you say to your brother or sister, Let me take the speck out of your eye when? All the time there is a plank in your own eye. And Paul writes, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment... Do the very same things. Wow. That's found in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here, James informs us that gossip and slander are sinful because when we practice them, we put ourselves above God and his number one law with regards to all human relationships. You're thinking, well, gosh, Dave, when you put it like that, (laughs) I didn't. God's word did. (laughs) James is telling us this. James says that if you tear down and judge your fellow brother or sister, you become a law breaker against God. Which law is James referring to here? It's not the law of Moses and certainly not the additional laws of Judaism. James is referring to the law that he has been advocating and talking about all along in this letter. He describes it as the perfect law that gives freedom. Back in chapter 1, verse 25, he describes it as the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself, chapter 2, verse 8. So what law is he talking about? It's known as the law of love. Does not the Bible tell us that God is love? And here James is saying, when you speak against slander, gossip, whatever, judge someone, you're coming against God. You're coming against His law, the law of love. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, all the law is summed up in this one word, L-O-V-E. Jesus said upon loving God and loving our neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets in Matthew twenty-two forty. 40. So here James is saying a judgmental attitude manifests itself in all sorts of ways. But in all cases, the self-made judge breaks the law of God is elevating themselves above God, breaking the law of love. So as we can see, the real problem with judging others is that it looks a whole lot like playing God. James reminds us that there is only one lawgiver, there is only one judge. Got news for you this morning, and you're not it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Only God can pass judgment on a person's actions and motives And you know why? Because he can do so perfectly without fault. Without hypocrisy, without any malice whatsoever. And only he can do that. You and I can't do that. The final judgment that's found in verse 12 packs a personal punch really in the original Greek language. We read it. It says here in in our Bibles, Who are you to judge your neighbor in the original language? The punch is this. It actually says, you there. Who do you think you are? You there. So in other words, it's like, you know, we might be sitting here and we might be thinking, oh, my goodness, I wish so-and-so was here. Did they need to hear this? Right? And James is saying, no, I'm, I'm talking to you. Yes. You there. Yes. Put your name right in it. You there. Who are you to judge your neighbor? We could paraphrase it like this. Who do you think you are, Mr. Big (laughs) Shot? Or who made you God? Now we find James is going to show us another way we play this game, this game called playing God. And I want you to look at this with me in verse 13 and 14. And And it's the danger of being our own masters, okay? Let's read the verses. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while in the Greek, that just for a brief moment. And then vanishes. In verses 11 and 12, I want to make sure you make this connection between what James is doing here. In verses 11 and 12, he, he addresses the problem with playing God over the lives of others. Here in these verses, he is addressing the problem of playing God over ourselves. You guys see that? We need to see that. In these verses, he... He he, he shows us this. And the objective of this game, playing God over our own selves, being our own masters, as the final authority over ourselves. See, the problem with that is not only do we begin to move into that direction, evidenced by then we begin to live like it, as if we are the boss of our own lives, calling our own shots. This player puts God in his in his very own little compartment back somewheres in the back part of our hearts and lives. And keeps him there. Except, of course, when they're in big, big trouble. <laughs> and then we open the door and let him out for a little bit to take care of the situation. And once that's done, we put him right back away. And get on with life once again in charge of ourselves. not a way to do things now most people in fact probably most of you if not all of you would never admit to expelling god into back some back room somewhere of your life but nevertheless still do limit him in what he is allowed to do and be over in our own lives. In other words, God can be the boss of religious stuff. That's his department. Well, of course, moral matters, international conflicts, questions of faith, that that belongs to him. I'll let him have that. That's his realm. But we'll handle things like finances. Purchases, relationships, (coughs) business decisions. We seem to think those things that God couldn't care less about just as long as he has our hearts, right? Well, we have to ask ourselves if we're really kind of going with that kind of thinking attitude and philosophy, what we have to ask ourselves, just how much of our hearts does he really have? if we're not allowing him to be the sovereign Lord over all of our lives. Every aspect, every detail. At the core of this false philosophy is the idea that we're the masters of our own destiny. Such people recite the hymn of self-reliance that could be summarized in a verse by a guy by the name of William Ernest Henley in his poem known as Invictus. Here's what it says. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's the philosophy of the person who plays God in his Or her own life. Pray only for important things. Otherwise pull yourself up from your own bootstraps. Call your own shots. It's as if we somehow have taken on this kind of thinking. That God is not and doesn't need to be involved with the mundane everyday stuff of our lives. Nothing could be further from the truth. James has given us the rules for this game right here in verse 13. Look at it again. Today or tomorrow, meaning set your own schedule. We will go to this or that city, meaning select your own path. Thirdly, and spend a year there, meaning place your own limits. Number four, and carry on business. Arrange your own activities, in other words. And then fifthly, and make money, meaning predict your own outcome. Basically, James is saying, see, there's what we do. It's part of our everyday lives. Where is God in all of that? How has he been sought? How has he been inquired of with regards to God? What do you want? Here's what I want. Here's what I'm going to do. And God, nowhere to be found. Now, please do notice that none of the activities that James describes are bad in and of themselves. You see that? In other words, there's nothing wrong with planning ahead. He's not talking against that. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead. Nothing evil about setting a schedule. Nothing bad about engaging in business and nothing sinful about making a profit. He's not coming against that. In fact, James describes, and here's what he's doing, the everyday affairs of normal life. He's describing the everyday mundane, and that's exactly his point. Because God is our sovereign Lord. We must consider His will and every aspect of our own lives. Every aspect. James begins pointing out problems with the go-it-alone attitude toward life in verse 14. He says, Why, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't, do we? We don't know even know what's going to happen with the rest of this day, right? much less tomorrow, or what the next year or two will bring. Every one of us is just one heartbeat away from checking out. One heartbeat. Which is why James also lets us know that playing God with our own lives is risky business. It's risky because we have no assurance of a long life to begin with. James describes our lives, he says, as a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So for a moment, imagine that it's not summer but winter. You're outside, you exhale, and what happens? Your breath can be seen, right? It's a little puff of smoke. And it lasts for what? About that long. Gone in a twinkling of an eye. And that's James's point here. He says it's a mist. James says that life's that life's is is not um, and not just the life of somebody who dies young is being described, or even a relatively long life. Those of you who lived a little bit longer would admit, and you say yourself, man, how time has flown by. Right? right. It flies. It happens fast. I like what someone has said about the time your face clears up from acne. Your mind goes fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever noticed the two middle letters of the word life? Think about it. It's if. Life. Is iffy. None of us should deceive ourselves into thinking that we have plenty of time to get our lives right and start living for, our, for the Lord God. Amen? Your life and mine, James says, nothing more than a mist. And it has no permanence, this side of heaven. Now, so we're not to play God over the lives of others, We're not to play God over our own lives. So that leaves us with what? Let God be God. (laughs) Leaves us with you and I need to stay out of it. Let the one who is God be God. He can do it a whole lot better than you and I can. Do you agree with that? I I thought you would, but nevertheless, we do this all the time, don't we? Somehow we think we've got a better idea. We can make better plans. Anticipate a better outcome than what God can provide. We need to let God be God. Look at verse 15 and 16 with me now. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that as it is. You boast in your arrogant schemes, your arrogant planning, your arrogant schedule. Arrogant because God's been left out of it. All such boasting, are you looking at this, is what? Good? Evil. Evil. James provides the necessary corrective to the danger of playing God, as we just read, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. God, it's, it's about you, not about me. We have no right to ignore God's will in any aspect of our lives. For many believers, the two words, God willing, has become, I think, I fear nothing more than a cliché. That somehow just sort of superstitiously gets used just so that we don't appear to be presumptuous. To say if it is the Lord's will reflects obviously a biblical attitude. It means submitting ourselves humbly before the one true God who is entitled to be the Lord over all things in our lives Not just a few things. It means erasing from our minds. Pay attention to this, please. This idea that we have somehow come up with, this dichotomy of separating things out. Erasing from our minds the the sacred, secular. Like there's some sort of division there. The heavenly from the earthly the spiritual from the physical. Folks, if you have somehow adopted some kind of thinking that this belongs to we humans and this belongs to God, God is sovereign. What do you think sovereign means? He's over it all. There is no dichotomy. There is no separation. We can't delegate some to him and the rest to us. God governs all things. He owns it all. Amen. Amen. The alternative to submitting all things to God, James says, is a sinful, boastful arrogance. Living life as if we are the masters of our faith, as if we are the captains of our soul. Boasting describes the arrogant assumption that we can handle the future however we want and do it independently of God. If there's going to be any boasting, (laughs) let that boasting be upon God, not upon ourselves, upon what He has done and what He is doing and what He will do in our futures, not on what we have done, what we are doing, and what we think we will do, void of God and His will. If there's going to be any boasting, let it be on Him, only. Amen? Amen. He knows better. <laughs> he can handle a whole lot better than you and I can. The choice is inevitable. Either we humble ourselves before God. Or we will be humbled by God. I mean, yeah. Which do you want? <laughs> that humbly may not be immediate. But it is guaranteed. Yes. You can take that to the bank. For sure. Verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I think verse 17 you know, is especially practical for those of us who do have the tendency of drifting over into God's territory. How's that for a nice way of putting it? Wasn't that sweet? <laughs> in other words, those of us with the tendency to play God, to, re, to keep control rather than relinquish it. James concludes by putting out two ways, by pointing out two ways that we can stop playing God in our own lives and over the lives of others. And it's not rocket science church Both relate to true humility that will flow from authentic faith. First, know the good and right thing to do. Know what the right thing is. How do we get to know that? Right here. Our roadmap. Right here. Whatever the cost, you must evaluate your life and pattern it. Not after this world. Not after anything or anybody that you might think and consider to be successful, but after God's word. That and that only. Not according to your personal wants, your desires or what you think in your own mind is right. It's what God says is right. <laughs> and then secondly, we're to know the good and right thing to do. Then Saint James says, then do <laughs> the good and right thing. God has a standard of right living, right? One that happens to transcend our own interests, our own pursuits, our own way of thinking, our will. Instead of doing the wrong thing, James, again, not rocket science, he makes it pretty simple. Instead of doing the wrong thing, and we know what that is too, don't we? He just simply says, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. First know, then do. If we continue to live as though God isn't interested in certain areas of our lives, James says, that's sin. Leaving God out, it's sin. If we try to call our own shots, make our own plans, do our own thing, we're not doing what God wants us to do, sin. It's that simple. That's the point of James' final warning. Know the right way. Then humbly submit to it. And then do it. The writer of Psalm 14, verse 1, the psalmist writes these words. The fool says in his or her heart that there is no God. I suppose something worse than pronouncing that there is no God would be to live a life that would say, verbally confess, I believe there is a God, I believe, I believe, but then live as if he does not exist. I don't know what would be worse than that. And to add idolatry to blasphemy. The worst case after that would be to set ourselves up as God. Over others and over ourselves. One who has the only one who has the right and authority to both judge and be Lord over our lives gets shoved out. And every single one of us do this, whether we want to admit it or not. I think you know that we're guilty of that. Quick example. You know, we we get up on Sunday mornings and and we we know this much we're going to be at church. You're here. But here's also what what has happened, and we do this all the time. We make our plans for after. And you're sitting there and thinking, man, when's that guy going to shut up? I've got to get on to what I've planned. Here's the problem. Here's why I'm saying this. wherein that was God sought? Yeah. You're here amongst God's people. And you never once probably even entertained the idea that maybe God would want you to linger a moment. That maybe the Holy Spirit might want to speak to you and to someone else through you. Never entered your mind. I'm on with my plan. God never, ever sought. And we do that constantly all day long. When we stand in judgment over our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're playing the part of divine judge. And when we plan our own lives as if God were uninterested or uninvolved, we're playing the part of divine Lord. We're all guilty of the sin of playing God to some degree, as I've said. We play God with others when we talk down and judge them. We play God with ourselves when we leave no room for Him to lead us and guide us. Like the Israelites, and we're aware of them and their struggles in the wilderness, like the Israelites, you and I have a propensity for unbelief. Now, you just thought to yourself, no, that's not my problem. I believe in God. I've already showed you how that works. (laughs) But when you are playing God in your own life and over someone else's, can it be anything other than unbelief? It's your inability to trust God, isn't it? It's unbelief. The writer to the Hebrews says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Newsflash, when you play the role of God, that is exactly what we do. Such an exhortation wouldn't be necessary if it weren't possible for us to have sinful, unbelieving hearts. Can I be blunt? Can we be honest? We do want to sin. We do want to go our own way. We do not wish to trust. In a recent Our Daily Bread devotion, it offered this clever piece. It's, it went like this. You might start your journey in the southwest United States in a dusty town called Y, Arizona. Heading cross-country, it would take you through uncertain Texas. Bury northeast, you would make a rest stop in dismal Tennessee. <laughs> Ultimately, you'd reach your destination, panic, Pennsylvania. (laughs) These are real places. These are real cities. However, probably not likely places that you're going to plan a trip to go to, right? Sometimes this is exactly what the journey of life feels like and, and can look like. In our lives. We easily identify with the Israelites. Tough life in the wilderness. Life can be hard. We we know that. But we also know that we. Can be so guilty of creating our own itinerary. Turning from God's way. And so like the Israelites. We often grumble about getting our needs met, and in our daily fretting, we likewise doubt God's purposes. The story of the Israelites, sad but true, is repeated over and over and over in our own lives. Right? Yeah. God assures us that if we follow His path, He'll deliver us into a far better place than dismal. (laughs) He'll provide and we'll lack nothing. That which we really need will lack nothing. Yet as much as we already know this, we often fail to do it. We need to follow God's roadmap. It finishes up like this. It's a bit more of a drive But another six hours by car would take you from the town of Panic to a place known as Assurance, West Virginia. If we let God direct our paths, we'll journey in joy with Him at the wheel. I don't know about you, but I think of that, and I call that Blessed Assurance. I don't know where James chapter 4 verses 11 through 17 find you today. But if you're stuck in the playing God game, my recommendation, God's word recommendation is to stop playing the game. Get out of it and let God be God. He's better at it than you are. Besides that, James says, when you do play that game, you are committing some serious sin because you're sinning against God and his royal law. Let's not do that. Amen. 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 Father, we come before you this morning, and once again, we want to say thank you, even though perhaps maybe there's been some things said that has been hard to receive, maybe even harder to admit. But if we will we will be further along in ending the game of playing God over others, over ourselves. You call it sin. And we probably have, we we carry this game on day after day after day and having not realized just how serious it is and what your perspective on it is. We've been given that today. I pray, God, that as we walk out these doors and go out to our lives, that it doesn't get forgotten, doesn't get placed back in some back room somewhere where we have placed you. But may we open that door and let you out and have control over every aspect of our lives. Come, Lord God, and be our sovereign God over everything over everything that pertains to us direct our paths we relinquish it all to you we pray this in christ's name amen Amen. thank you for listening to this message by wellspring of life church in western colorado if you'd like to learn more about our community please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So